In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, the three secrets of Fatima and the Vatican deception. One of the most prominent uh, witnesses uh, about this third secret is a man named Father Malachi Martin. He was in the Vatican during the time that these changes were taking place. And it involves two very specific things. Number one, that, that the world would see an amount of suffering that the world has never seen before. The second thing that he said about it is that it has to do with a wholesale apostasy in the church, throughout the church. 
This podcast is brought to you by International Star Registry. Buying a unique and romantic Valentine's Day gift for that special someone can be incredibly difficult. It's a delicate balance of finding a thoughtful gift that isn't too expensive, but tells people that you really care. And let's face it, the same old flowers and candy just isn't special. Imagine counting down the days to February 14th, dreaming of romance, knowing you chose the perfect Valentine's Day gift. International Star Registry lets you name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. It's the most unique Valentine's Day gift of all time. This year, put love in the air. Name a star after someone you love. They'll remember it forever and never forget your special gift. The address is getarealstar.com. Getarealstar.com to give someone the gift of a real star in the sky. That address again, getarealstar.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Well, how are you? Great to be with you. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to emcee and present the North American uh, premiere of a very interesting film called The Vatican Deception, and it's billed as a feature documentary about imminent global disaster, an unprecedented prophecy of hope, and the epic battle to conceal it. And it centers around the Marian apparition, that is, the Virgin Mary, who is said to have appeared before three young Portuguese children in the town of Fatima back in 1917 over a hundred years ago. And the Virgin Mary was said to have presented these three young children, one of whom, Lucia, uh, would later become a, a Dorothean nun. And she presented these young children with three prophecies or secrets. The first one was a vision of hell, which reestablished sort of the orthodox or uh, official version of what hell is, that it is permanent, that it is fire and brimstone. Uh, the second had to do with the, the end of the First World War and a prediction of a second greater war. The third prophecy has been shrouded in secrecy for many years. And the third and final secret was supposed to be released by the Vatican in 1960, uh, just around the time of the Second Vatican Council, or Vatican II. Uh, but it wasn't released in 1960. And it wasn't until 40 years later that a part of the Third Secret, about 25 lines of the Third Secret, was released. But many researchers uh, believe that they left out a big chunk of that Third Secret because much of it, uh, again, speaks of this apostasy inside the church, indicting the Vatican for falling away from the faith. And therein lies the deception. And I, I really, I can't say enough about this film, and I'm not even Catholic, but to me, this film is more than just a documentary. It's a political thriller. Political thriller meets spiritual warfare. And the film also centers around the efforts of one Catholic priest, the late Father Nicholas Gruner, 
of the Fatima Center, located in Fort Erie, Ontario, his efforts to pressure the Vatican to release the entire third secret, uh, and the efforts then by the Vatican to silence Father Gruner. Here to discuss the Vatican deception is the director, Paul Stark. Paul Stark, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Richard. So the film is The Vatican Deception. First, let me ask you why your interest in this film, which is really a political thriller. It's not just a a documentary. But why did you pick this story? Are you a Catholic? Uh, Yeah, I am a Catholic. And um, now I I usually... uh, I usually add to that by saying that uh, although I am a Catholic, uh, I, uh, I actually took every effort uh, to research this and to present the information uh, in an objective way. And uh, the, way, uh, the, the way we did that was to show that there were two sides of a conflict in the Vatican, and uh, we presented the evidence along with it. Central uh, to the story is... The Three Secrets of Fatima, or at least let's talk about the Marian apparition uh, to uh, Lucia, uh, Lucinda, and Lucinta, just, sorry, uh, central to this story is the Marian apparition uh, that appeared to thousands of people, tens of thousands of people in Fatima, Portugal, uh, between May and October of 1917. So just set the stage for us in terms of uh, the uh, the apparition of uh, the Virgin Mary uh, 90, uh, 100 years ago, 100 years ago. Yeah, that's right. So it uh, last year we were celebrating the 100-year anniversary of these apparitions, and uh, so as you were uh, as you were noting, uh, the Blessed Virgin uh, appeared to, or at least uh, if I was to look at this objectively, uh, I would say that the the three children in Fatima, Portugal, were reporting that the Blessed Virgin was appearing to them, and uh, the names of those children were uh, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco. Um, so Lucia uh, was the oldest of the three, and uh, the other two were her cousins. And uh, so they they were in the field uh, on uh, one of uh, the properties of Lucia's uh, fathers or family, and uh, they saw the first apparition there on May the 13th, 1917. And uh, when they saw this apparition, or when they reported seeing this apparition, uh, they claimed that uh, it was the, the Blessed Virgin and that she had asked them to come back every month on the same day at the same time, uh, for the next uh, for the next five months, and so um, so this is uh, this is what happened. Now every time they came back, there was new information that they uh, that they claimed to receive from the Blessed Virgin. So that's uh, that's kind of it. Now, right. how, the- how did she? Excuse me, Paul. How, how did she appear to them? Did they uh, describe her appearance? Was she? Up in the air? Was she on the ground? Was she a full-on apparition? Was she diaphanous? How did she appear to them? Yeah, so she was a full-on apparition, and uh, they actually described her with great detail. They described what she was wearing. She had a mantle on. Uh, it was um, uh, it was lined uh, with gold on the on the uh, like there was a seam of gold around it. Uh, I believe they they were saying that uh, they didn't see her hair because her her mantle covered her her head. 
she uh, she her her uh, her garments went all the way down to her feet, but they they saw her feet, and she appeared above a, a holm oak tree, which was about uh, maybe three feet off of the ground, and whenever she appeared, the the branches would bend almost as if they were supporting her her light weight. Um, what else did they describe about her? Uh, they described her her as very luminant, like almost made of light. And uh, I, I remembered when I was reading the memoirs of these children, um, Jacinta couldn't stop talking about how beautiful she was. She was the most beautiful lady she had ever seen. That's how she described her. Did she, dis- also- did she identify herself or did they assume that this was the Blessed Virgin Mary? Uh, that's a good question, actually. At the beginning, she did not identify herself. I think the children sensed who it was. But when they asked her who she was, she said, keep coming back here. And on the final day, I will tell you who I am and what I want. And, so it was, and, and was that was in October? That's right, on October 13. And so uh, on that day, she, she explained to them that she was the Lady of the Rosary, which is... Um, in Catholic, uh, uh, I guess in, in the Catholic faith, the rosary is one of the most cherished uh, prayers uh, that they can pray. Sure. And at what point did she appear to the masses? Um, she never did, actually. Only the three children could see her. And uh, in fact, this is why uh, over the months, people came to know something was going on. They came out into the field. They saw their own signs. You know, they saw some, some people said they saw a cloud over the home oak tree where the, 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 our lady was appearing. Some people said that uh, the sun was always dimmed so that they could actually look at it. Uh, there was, I think one time when there were, um, I think it was rose petals falling from the sky or, or something. Uh, you know, I remember there were different signs like that. Uh, but the people never saw the Blessed Virgin. Uh, at one point, even some people said they could hear a tiny voice as though somebody was speaking out of a jar. But, but, no, but nobody actually saw her other than the three children. And so uh, this is why over time, um, you know, some people believed that it was happening and some people were skeptic. They didn't think that it was, it was actually taking place. So now we get into the, the three secrets, which, is, which are central uh, to your film, the Vatican right. deception. the the uh, The first secret uh, is the uh, the Lady of uh, the Rosary uh, talking to the three children, uh, Lucia, yeah. Jacinta, and um, um, Franci- Francisco, about hell. Yeah, uh, she actually didn't uh, speak about it. She actually showed them a vision. So uh, the way the children described it is she she opened her arms up, and as she did this, there was an energy that seemed to open the ground up, and uh, the children looked down and they 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 uh, they described uh, it as though they were looking into a, a pit of hell, and they they described uh, the different creatures that they saw there. They said that they could distinguish the human forms from from the demons, because the demons look like, uh, you know, mixes of strange beasts. And uh, they were also very specific in their description of how these, uh, uh, how these forms, uh, they look like uh, bronze, like they, were, like they were being consumed, or sorry, they were burning in flame, but never being consumed in this, this lake of fire. So it was a very specific uh, vision that they, that they saw. 
And why why was that important uh, to show these three young uh, Portuguese children these stark, rather gruesome and graphic images of eternal hellfire? Do you think? Um, from my understanding of the research that I did, uh, the the prophecies were warning that uh, people were falling into hell every day and that the numbers of people falling into hell were going to grow over time. And uh, so this vision, it seemed, was meant to be a warning to humanity that it's, uh, it's time for people to wake up and that there would be a time when people would not believe in hell and there would be a time when the, when the Catholic Church would not teach about it. So that's that, that's my understanding of why she did that. It's true that uh, the concept or the idea of hell has been, I would say, severely watered down. We it, it is an uncomfortable thing to discuss uh, this idea of eternal damnation and and the agony of of being constantly on fire but never consumed by the fire. That it's permanent. This has been watered down, perhaps even. Uh, in statements by the Pope himself. Uh, so yeah, what, was this a, was this again to, to reconfirm the permanency and the existence of, of an actual place, hell? Yeah, that's, that's it exactly. Um, and you're right. It has been watered down. Uh, you know, the, I think the mentality of most Christians, and I, I don't say just Catholics, but I think it's, it's all Christians. They have this sense that, that God is an all loving, uh, merciful God, and that He'll forgive us for for what we what we do, no matter what that is. And um, you know that's not what the Catholic Church used to teach. The, the Catholic Church, uh, obviously, and I think all Christian faiths, for that matter, taught that um, you know that there is a hell and that people end up there, and uh, that uh, you know we have to seek to try to avoid going there. The second. But, uh, you know, Sorry, the second secret of of uh, Fatima that was released, uh, re- um, that was revealed uh, to these three children. Uh, uh, tell me about that. It has to do with the, the uh, World War One, which is now at this point they're the, in the third year of the war in nineteen seventeen. Uh, it has yeah. to do with war and also Russia. Tell me about the second secret. Yeah. So. Uh, the second secret, uh, first of all, begins by explaining uh, that the children saw hell and that that's where, where people were going and that uh, she came to prevent that. And so to prevent that, she said that she would return to ask for the consecration of Russia. And uh, this consecration was also meant to prevent further devastations in the world. Um, so um, I'm trying to think. So. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, was also predicted uh, was the sign that would be seen in the sky that would be uh, a signal that this worst war was going to start. And the sign that was described in this secret was what they call, um, uh, well, in the secret, it was, it was called a strange light during the reign of Pope Pius XI, that that would be the sign. And it's interesting to note that uh, if you do uh, a quick Google on this, you'll find that if you search Aurora Borealis and you check on the date January 25th, 1938, 
you'll find that there were several newspaper articles about uh, a light in the sky uh, that people call that the scientists called Aurora Borealis, but it was seen on five different continents. And uh, in England, uh, they actually thought Windsor Castle was burning down. That's how bright these lights were. And they actually dispatched a, uh, like the fire department to go out and to, to put out this flame that didn't exist. There's a really powerful um, scene in your movie, The Vatican Deception, uh, where a, a, f- a former SS security guard uh, serving Adolf Hitler is recounting uh, Hitler and himself and, and a, a young, I believe a young Hungarian woman being out on a, a veranda looking up at the sky on this particular uh, night and the, this, well, you, you explain what the SS guard, um, what he heard and what he saw. Yeah, so they were on the, uh, they were on the esplanade of, uh, of, uh, of, I guess they called it the Wolf's Lair, which is uh, a place where uh, Hitler would meet with his cabinet in the mountains, the Bavarian mountains. And they were looking out into the sky, and uh, this SS guard said that, uh, uh, when Hitler saw these signs in the sky, he saw it as a sign that it was time to wage war. Because what uh, Hitler said was, now we will shed blood. And the way the SS guard describes it, he said that Hitler looked crazed all of a sudden. You know, it was very intimidating. People were very nervous because they saw how he was reacting to this. And so um, it, it does seem as though that particular sign had an effect on him. And it, it's very, it's, it's, it actually is very captivating to see this guard speaking about that. It really makes you realize that something did happen there. And within days or weeks, Hitler and the Nazis uh, poured across the border into Austria and annexed uh, Hitler's uh, uh, birthplace. Uh, and again, this, this mirrors the, the prophecy of the Virgin Mary at Fatima in 1917. That's right. And the uh, the Russian connection there, because uh, in the second secret, uh, it described how Russia needed to be consecrated or blessed. It's another word for to be blessed, uh, for this to be avoided. And um, so one might ask, well, what does Hitler have to do with Russia? And in this case, uh, what happened is uh, there was a pact made after that uh, light was seen in the sky. It was a pact made between... Uh, Nazi Germany and Communist Russia. The Molotov-Ribbentrop uh, Accord, I believe, was it not? That's right. Yeah, that's the name of the accord. And so that accord allowed both parties to uh, to ravage Poland, and they both agreed that they would not stop each other from from ravaging Poland, and that they would share the spoils from that war. And so uh, it was in that way uh, when when Russia signed that pact pact with the uh, the Nazis. It was in that way that uh, Russia became a catalyst for that for the war to begin. And if in Russia nineteen, not- uh, sorry, uh, Paul, I was just going to say we should, and, and if we back up to nineteen seventeen, just uh, a few short weeks after the final appearance of the Virgin Mary in Fatima. Of course, the uh, the Bolshevik Revolution succeeded, and Russia became the, um, the the communist Soviet Union. That's right. 
on October 13, the last apparition took place. There was a spectacular miracle that was witnessed by 70, there was an estimated 70,000 people. And uh, the children said that the Blessed Virgin told them that the war was going to end, but that, uh, that, they, that, that people needed to amend their lives. So uh, it was just days after that, like you say, that the Russian Revolution broke out. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. The children knew that uh, Russia was going to be the catalyst. They knew that Russia was the, you know, the country that needed to be blessed. But they didn't know even what Russia was. They thought that it was a woman. Hmm. And so, um, you know, so when the Russian re- Revolution broke out, they could not have known that this would even be happening. Right. And I think it's important to, to note, and I've made this point a number of times, being a Greek Orthodox, that the idea of consecrating uh, Russia does not mean converting Russia because Russia is an, an Orthodox country. I mean, it was certainly stifled during the uh, the 80 plus years of of communism or 70 plus years of communism and and we're seeing orthodoxy now flourish in in uh, Russia uh, but it doesn't mean convert Russia from orthodox to catholic it simply means the catholic the, the vatican the pope and the bishops need to bless Russia what is the you know the the the, the big picture the 30,000 foot view only i suppose the blessed virgin mary knows that that's right yeah, that's right. It's not uh, um, uh, to consecrate does not mean to convert. Uh, it, it does uh, exactly mean uh, it's kind of like a blessing. But the uh, I guess the the precise uh, definition of a consecration means to set aside for a holy purpose. And uh, you know what that holy purpose is. I, I guess we'll we'll witness it when the time comes. Uh, there have been you know many things said about that, but it. it, it it seems that it has something to do with bringing or ushering in a time of peace. Um, I believe it has to do with uh, with ushering in a, a time of uh, religious freedom, because the, there isn't uh, religious freedom, from what I understand, in Russia. It's not uh, it's not an absolute freedom, and uh, that would probably bring in, bring about a, a renewed fervor in in uh, people's. Uh, faith in God. Right. You would think it would be something fairly simple to do in the 100 years since the Virgin Mary uh, asked the Pope and the bishops to uh, bless Russia. That would be, uh, you know, something very simple. And yet it hasn't happened. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit uh, further later on. But let's get to the third secret, because this is the the Lollapalooza, really. This is the uh, the one that remains shrouded in mystery. Yeah, that's it. So the third secret uh, has been shrouded in mystery ever since uh, the 1940s, because it was in the 1940s, during, during World War II, actually, that uh, the first two secrets were published. And the third secret, it was known that it existed, and um, there was even a Hollywood film made about the Fatima prophecies in the 1950s, and it was nominated for an Academy Award in 1953, so everybody knew about the Fatima prophecies, and everybody knew about this third secret, and everybody was aware, or I should say at least most, most Catholics around the world anyway, were aware that this third secret was supposed to be published in 1960. And what happened was 1960 came, and the Vatican decided not to publish it. Let me just uh, let me just uh, stop you there for a second, Paul, if I might. We should point out that sure. at this point in the the nineteen 19- 
I believe the, the early 1920s, uh, Lucia, the, the eldest of the three children, became a Dorothean uh, nun. Yes. Now, did, was, at what point was she, did she write all of these prophecies down? Uh, so the, the prophecies, she, first she needed to uh, learn to write. And it was while she was uh, a Dorothean nun that she learned to read and write. And I believe it was, I don't have the exact dates, but I believe it was in the 1930s that she was approached by the bishop. And the bishop began asking her questions about what happened in Fatima. And... Um, he began asking questions about the two uh, cousins that were with her to try to understand what their character was like and, uh, you know, the level of their faith and where their families, uh, who their families were, what kind of people they were. Uh, so they started asking many questions like this. And so Lucia started to provide the answers to all these questions in what is known as uh, her memoirs now. I think she wrote about six memoirs. And uh, these memoirs contain all of the information from uh, f- from the questions that were answered. So are we to take it on faith, I guess, that in the intervening, the 15 years or so, since the final apparition, to when she actually put pen to paper and started writing these down, that she she was able able to remember everything almost word for word from the Virgin Mary? Or was it possible, was there another... Uh, another visitation or some sort of a a communication uh, while she was writing these? My understanding is that she, uh, this information was, was very much ingrained in her, in her memories. You can imagine if something so spectacular happened, uh, you don't forget the details very easily. So uh, I believe that part of it is on faith that, yes, uh, we have to accept that she's remembered these to some extent. But uh, there also had been additional apparitions that took place uh, through her life. Uh, for example, when, um, when uh, the children reported that the Blessed Virgin appeared to them in, in uh, July to reveal these three secrets, uh, the second secret in the second secret, the Blessed Virgin tells Lucia, I will return to ask for the consecration of Russia. And she, in fact, does return to ask for the consecration of Russia in 1929. So, so the, these apparitions did continue to take place uh, more privately with uh, Lucia. Well, Paul, I want to shift the conversation from matters of the eternal soul, as we're talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary, to something far more temporary, but still important, and that's the human body, and how we can live longer and healthier lives. Our bodies deserve the best, but how do we choose the best nutritional supplements, or even know what's in them? Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, and potency 
of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. Life Extension Supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eye, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. That's one reason why 98% of their customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line, Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. smartclickidea.com. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Paul Stark is the director of a brand new documentary titled The Vatican Deception. So we we mentioned the third secret. Now, my understanding is that Lucia had, uh, I guess, on the, the orders of the Virgin Mary, had sealed these in an envelope, or the third secret. Uh, and it was, as you mentioned just a, a short while ago, it was to be released in 1960. I mean, that was an explicit, precise date to be released in 1960. Explain the timing. So that's an error. It actually is a very interesting date. And it's especially interesting because if you look at the Vatican document that was published, in this Vatican document, it is stated that... Uh, I think it was uh, Cardinal Bertoni who asked, uh, I don't remember if it's him, but there was uh, somebody from the Vatican asked Sister Lucia if there was an interpretation for for the third secret and, and why that date. They asked why specifically 1960. And according to the Vatican document, Lucia responded that it was just an arbitrary date that she didn't choose it, uh, that the, sorry, that the Blessed Virgin didn't choose it, that, that uh, Lucia just felt it was a date that was, uh, you know, uh, it'll make sense for people to open the, the letter at that point. But when you read the letter itself, it says that the Blessed Virgin requested on 19, in 1960 that this letter be opened. So right there you have a contradiction, and, and that's why that makes the date so interesting. It makes us wonder what's going on with that. Now, we can look at 1960 and ask ourselves, what's going on in 1960 that makes it particularly special? And uh, when you start to uncover some of the details, you see that uh, the, uh, the Second Vatican Council was called in 1959. And by 1960, uh, the Catholic Church was aware that this council was going to take place and that they were going to be uh, renewing the church, that they were going to be bringing in new ideas, fresh ideas. And it seems that that was particularly the thing that the third secret was warning about. Well, we should talk about the uh, the prophecy dealing with the apostasy, uh, which also, mm-hmm. and for many Catholics, many conservative-minded Catholics, the Vatican II, uh, was sort of the manifestation of that apostasy. 
but what did the Virgin Mary say about an apostasy in the church? We actually don't have the actual text, and this is the problem. Uh, and this is why I, I did so much research on this, because uh, if we had the actual text, we would obviously have the full picture. And uh, it seems that the Vatican would have a motive not to publish a document that would speak about the apostasy at the top levels of the church. But what we have, though, is uh, the testimonies of people who have read the third secret. And it's from that that we're able to sort of get a sense of what's happening with this secret, what it's about. And one of the, uh, one of the most prominent uh, witnesses uh, we, we, ha- we know of uh, about this third secret is a man named Father Malachi Martin. He was in the Vatican during the time that these changes were taking place. And he had the opportunity to read the third secret and uh, although he was under oath not to reveal its exact details, he did speak about it in general terms. And one of the things that he said about it, uh, he said that it, there, it involves two very specific things. Number one, he said it involves uh, a great amount of suffering globally, that, that, that the world would see an amount of suffering that the world has never seen before. That's the first one. The second thing that he said about it is that it has to do with a wholesale apostasy in the church, throughout the church. And, you know, I know a lot of people probably, especially Catholics, might think to themselves, well, you know, uh, I don't think that we would see an apostasy. And they don't realize that we are actually living these times where there is an apostasy um, the argument is that, uh, coming back to the image of hell, you know, the church used to preach that, that hell is real and that we needed to, you know, live our lives in a way that we wouldn't go there. But the church doesn't teach that anymore. That used to be uh, a fundamental part of their doctrine, and they don't teach that anymore. So these are the kind of signs that uh, we have today that that maybe there is a change in the doctrine. Maybe there is an apostasy. And for those who don't know what what apostasy means, it's an abandonment of your beliefs. If you truly believe that there was a hell, you you would live your life differently. You would live your life in a way that you wouldn't go there. But if you don't believe there's a hell, then you'll live your life in, a, in such a way that, uh, you know, maybe you'll just try to enjoy the best of it while you're here on Earth. Well, and, and there are millions of Catholics who, who see Vatican II uh, as the apostasy because, the, uh, of course, the, uh, the Mass uh, is, is, is altered. Uh, we have a, yeah. a watering down of the Pope's uh, powers. Yes, that's uh, right. And those... Those are, those are critical. Those go right to the very core of the Catholic faith. Uh, when you change the Mass, what you're doing is you're, you're changing the lifeblood of the Church itself, because nothing is more sacred than the Mass uh, itself. And so when you tamper with that, you're, 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 you're changing its heart, its very heart and lifeblood. The other thing uh, you mentioned, uh, which was correct, is uh, the, the, uh, the watering down of papal authority. And a church or a Catholic church cannot be Catholic if there is not uh, what we call the supreme pontiff, the, 
the the pope who is uh, very much a monarch he is he is at the very top of of this hierarchy but we don't have that today uh as you were referring to uh, with the vatican council there were things that changed during the council uh and one of the one of the major things was was this idea of papal authority the the pope was stripped of his authority as the supreme pontiff and when you don't have that you don't have catholicism so who uh, who was the first uh, which was the first pope to to open uh, the envelope containing the uh, the third secret as transcribed uh, by sister lucia the first pope was uh, john paul ii uh, sorry uh, john sorry uh, john uh, my mistake the first pope was john the 23rd and he opened it in 1958 i believe it was uh he opened it in the presence of uh a cardinal i believe at the time he was a monsignor uh by the name of uh, capovilla and uh when he opened this secret according to uh the evidence he uh he he said that this was uh, did not concern his pontificate and he closed the envelope and said that uh it it had nothing to do with their times so that uh, but uh, john the john the 23rd was the first to open the secret all right there's also something supposedly and i don't know who this comes from perhaps malachi martin or others but uh, that the a third secret speaks of um the the um the attempted murder or the martyring of a, of a pope, uh, and some suggest that that points to 1981, and obviously the um, the attempt on Pope John the, the the attempt on the life of Pope John Paul II by this Bulgarian KGB agent. Yes, when um, it, it helps if we backtrack a little bit here because. Uh, what you're referring to is uh, something that was published by the Vatican in the year 2000. And it seems that uh, after many years of pressure or, or something, something prompted the Vatican to finally decide to publish the third secret of Fatima. And so they published a document in the year 2000, in June of 2000. And what this document was, was a a vision, another vision. And this time it was a vision of what they called a, a bishop in white walking through a city of ruins. And uh, this bishop came to uh, a mountain of ruins and he started to climb this mountain and behind him there were cardinals and bishops and lay people that followed. And at the top of that mountain was a big wooden cross. And as the uh, bishop in white, uh, which some people are referring to as the Pope. Uh, as he was climbing this mountain, he shot down and killed by bullets and arrows. And uh, on both sides of the cross, at the top of the this mountain, uh, there were two angels carrying what they call an aspersarium, and they were collecting the blood of martyrs. So this was the vision published by uh, by the Vatican, and so. When we had the attempted assassination on John Paul II in uh, in 1981, um, 
and the interesting thing with that is that it was on May the 13th, which was the anniversary of when the apparitions began in the first place. Mm. So the, the attempted assassination on John Paul II, um, it seemed it seemed to make sense to refer to that and say that that's, he was the bishop in white in the third secret, in the vision of the third secret. So the, the Vatican is trying to tell us that that assassination attempt fulfilled the vision of the third secret and that everything is now behind this. But what doesn't make sense with that is a number of things. First of all, in the vision, the Bishop of White is climbing a mountain of ruins. There were no mountain of ruins in, uh, in, in the time when John Paul II was shot. Uh, secondly, the third secret, the vision describes the Pope as being shot and killed. In this case, the Pope was not killed. Um, trying to think of some of the other things. Oh, the other thing is that is with the date. So this assassination attempt took place in 1981. Well, what does that have to do with 1960? It doesn't make any sense. If the secret was supposed to be opened in 1960 and it was written on the envelope itself that the Blessed Virgin asked for it to be published in 1960, and Lucius said that it was written, it was supposed to be opened in 1960 because then it will be more clear. So wh- why, why, would, uh, why would that have anything to do with 1981? Hmm. It, it just didn't make any sense. And why did the Vatican then wait until the year 2000 to publish this? If it had to do with 1981, why didn't they just publish it that year or the next year and say, okay, well, there it is. It's all done. Right. The other uh, um, thing that we should mention here, uh, oh, I want to go back to the consecration because Pope John Paul II had, uh, there was another opportunity uh, for him uh, to to consecrate uh, Russia, but it had to be done in unison with bishops all around the world. What happened? The instructions of uh, Fatima were very specific and very explicit. And they said that the Pope was supposed to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in unison with all of the bishops of the world. And it's interesting because there were some questions that came back uh, from Lucius, some people are uh, the bishops that were investigating this were asking questions to Lucia about the details of this. And the way she explained it was that uh, the bishops could come to Rome to be with the Pope, or they could do it in their own diocese. But in any case, it had to be at the same time. So it was explained that if the, if the consecration was done during the day in Rome, there might be other parts in the world where it was done in the middle of the night with, uh, you, you know, depending on what country they were from. And it was also explained that, you know, there might be some bishops who would be unable to do it in some circumstances because of the suppression of religious freedom. Or some so that just would, simply refused, some refused to do it. But didn't Pope John Paul II no, essentially get overruled? Didn't he... Moments before, didn't he say, may I mention Russia? And he was overruled, yeah. wasn't he? That's right. But So the request was supposed to in, in, include all of the bishops. 
and nobody was allowed to nobody is allowed to refuse they 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 had to do it to to the extent that they could and if they couldn't do it publicly because it, it had to be a public event if they couldn't do it publicly they could do it you know they could do it privately if if their lives were in danger or because they were being suppressed so so in um in 1984 when john paul ii did this consecration uh, he he asked the bishops, but he didn't have the participation of all of them, first of all. Second of all, uh, you're right in saying that uh, when the time came for him to consecrate, uh, it was a consecration of the world. That's, that was the ceremony. Right. He wasn't was, allowed to mention Russia. He wasn't allowed to mention Russia. But when the time came to, uh, to say the words of consecration of the world, he paused. And he actually asked, can I name Russia? So it was obviously on his mind at the time. He, he knew that Russia was the one that was supposed to be named. And what's actually interesting with this is that uh, at the time when he asked the question, there were people around him saying, no, no, you cannot name Russia. In other words, the Pope himself uh, being overruled. We, we, we don't have a lot of time here. We may have to come back and do a part two, but let me ask you, obviously, the name of the, the documentary, The Vatican Deception. The nature of the deception having to do with the third secret is, the big question is, in 2000, did they release the entirety of the third secret? Now, one of the central characters uh, in your film, the late Father Nicholas Gruner of the Fatima Center, uh, here in uh, Fort Erie, Ontario, uh, is, is, is dedicated his life really to to getting the Vatican to to release the third secret. It's in, in its entirety. The missing pieces. Uh, the Vatican denies it. They say no. We we released it all in two thousand. That's right. So the way I'm explaining the uh, the deception is this way: we have the Vatican's official position, which is that. The full third secret of Fatima has been published, and the consecration of Russia has been done. So that's the official position. But we also have testimonies from other Vatican insiders and from evidence that show us the opposite, uh, that the third secret is not fully published and that the consecration of Russia has not been done. So obviously, both sides of this equation can't be right. And so we, we can obviously conclude then that somebody is, de- is deceiving us. And so that's where the title of the film comes from, The Vatican Deception. And uh, as I mentioned, that for me, this, this documentary, which is fabulous, uh, and people really ought to get out and, and see it, and uh, uh, we'll give them a website where they can um, check for details and maybe a, a theater or where, where it will be screened. Uh, but to me, it is, as I say, a political thriller because one of the threads in this documentary has to do with Nicholas Gruner, the late father Nicholas Gruner, and his attempt uh, for many, for decades, to get the uh, the Vatican uh, to fess up, really, and 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 uh, admit that they haven't really released the entire um, third secret. But the the extent to which the Vatican uh, has gone or went to silence him. Uh, it's just incredible, and I don't want to give everything away in 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 the documentary. But th- there's a scene that opens the film where we we, we see uh, evidence that the Vatican actually airbrushed 
uh, Father Nicholas Gruner out of photographs as he approached uh, a Pope Benedict uh, during a blessing of the uh, of Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah, that's right. And um, you know, this is exactly it. This is incredible. Uh, the lengths to which they will go to silence uh, one of their own. This is uh, this is the idea. This is one of their own priests that they're silencing, and. It's interesting because uh, I look at it this way. If you are a, a member of the hierarchy and you're out of line in some way, you're, you're uh, preaching heresy or you're doing something that's wrong, the Vatican has a lot of tools that they can use to fix that. Like uh, as an example, uh, you know, we've known in the past that uh, they would excommunicate somebody for doing something that's wrong. And in this case, um, it's interesting because if Father Gruner was doing something that was wrong, that was so wrong, why wouldn't the Vatican then just use some of these tools that were at their disposal? Why, why wouldn't they excommunicate him? Why wouldn't they uh, find some way of, uh, you know, of reprimanding him? But they didn't. This was the thing that was interesting. They didn't because it seems that they couldn't because you can't punish somebody for, for not doing something wrong. It seemed that Father Gruner was doing uh, the promotion of Fatima, that he was fully in his right, he didn't need permission to do it, and the Vatican couldn't say something against it, and therefore they would resort to these odd methods instead, these, uh, which you would, I would call uh, covert types of methods to silence him. Yes, it's uh, it's very curious what the Vatican is trying to hide, what they are so afraid of. But let me conclude. I'm not sure if Father Gabriel uh, Amorth is uh, featured in the documentary, um, but he is the uh, the Vatican's chief exorcist. And back in 2010, uh, let me quote from him. Again, this is um, uh, the chief exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth, in 2010, quote, The devil resides in the Vatican, and you can see the consequences. He can remain hidden or speak in different languages or even appear to be sympathetic. At times he makes fun of me, but I'm a man who is happy in his work. So, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that opens up a whole other, I can think of a lot that I could say about that, but the simplest thing would be this. Uh, shortly after the Second Vatican Council, uh, there is a quote, a famous or infamous quote from uh, Pope Paul VI, who said, from some fissure, the smoke of Satan has entered the church. All right. Well, we will uh, now leave it to the listener, if they wish to pursue more, to uh, to get on out to the theater. How can they um, uh, get more information about the Vatican deception and perhaps uh, see it in the theater? The best way to get uh, the up-to-date information is to go to uh, the film's website, which is at www.thevaticandeception.com. And if people click on the, the, the menu, they can see uh, a number of selections. And one of those is uh, a link called Theater Locations. And if they, if they click on that, they'll be able to see all of the, the places that the film is playing presently. At the moment, we have... Uh, it playing at the Kingsway Theatre in Toronto. Uh, there's going to be another showing at uh, the Cinestars Mississauga Theatre on May, uh, March the 4th. 
and we're working on uh, expanding this. It seems like there's, as the, as the word gets out, we're getting more and more theaters on board. TheVaticanDeception.com Director, producer, Paul Stark. Congratulations. It's a, it's a real thriller, uh, political thriller, and um, I highly, highly recommend it. Thank you so much, Paul. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Vatican Deception. Great documentary. I recommend it. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs and head on up the stairs to the old Schlafensack, I want to give you a heads up on what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Just a reminder about our weekly contest, real easy to get in on. Every Friday we do a draw. The winner wins a CD of my Strange Planet radio feature collection, volumes one and two. All you need to do is rate and review this podcast, grab a screenshot of that, and then email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, the numeral one, at gmail.com. Again, rate, review, screenshot, email it to me, Include your name and address, your mailing address, that's important. Every Friday, I draw from a list of all of those emails that come in, and uh, the winner uh, wins either Volume 1 or Volume 2 of my Strange Planet CD. Is weight loss on your mind? It certainly remains on mine, even as we head into February. Unfortunately, the commitment to weight loss often fades, usually within the first 90 days. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes, and hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to re- reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits to help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited. Forget global warming. We're facing a major ice age in our future. Join me in conversation with Robert Felix, the author of Not by Fire, But by Ice. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 